Welcome to Exploring Product, where we go behind the scenes on what it really takes to bring new products to market. Too often, people focus just on the success stories. Our aim is to flip the script. We try to unpack what product teams actually go through when trying to bring new products to market. I'm Ryan Hatch. And I'm Rob Kaminsky. Every day, we're trying to build products that our customers love. And we know just how messy and difficult product work can be. We don't have it all figured out, and we're okay with that. Join us on our journey as we explore the world of creating new products. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, depending on where you're you're joining us from. Uh, Rob Kaminsky here. I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Hatch, uh, with Exploring Product. We also have Jacob Miller uh, on keyboards today, playing a little background producer. And we are super lucky to have Douglas Ferguson join us today. Uh, he's going to be talking about a bunch of things. We want to pick his brain about what he's doing over at Voltage Control, um, kind of leading the way with with thought leadership in, in meetings and prototyping. So we want to get into all that. Douglas, thank you so much for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Yes, 100%. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about my favorite topics. Right on. So for those of you who are joining us on the stream as well, uh, if you enter in your, your questions as we go along, you know, we'll be combing through those as we go and, and can bring them up on the board to, to ask Douglas. But to, to kick us off, what would be great, uh, Douglas, we're curious, tell us about, you know, your work with uh, voltage control. What, what are you doing over there for the folks that don't know what you do? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, voltage control is a change agency. And we help enterprises accelerate and scale innovation. And when I say change agency, um, what I mean is that we help organizations who are wanting or needing some change. And it could be that there's a product or initiative that's stalled or stuck, or they're just, they're seeing some opportunity. Maybe they want to be more design focused, but they're not sure how to get there. They uh, Maybe they're in the middle of an agile transformation and it's just, not going well, or they're trying to shift the way they work in some way. And we do that by helping them um, adjust their culture and how they work together, really focusing on the, the, the people that are internal. It, it's in a way it's like applying design thinking, human centered de design principles um, internally on the employees versus externally on, on the teams. And it's, it can get a bit meta because sometimes we're doing that yeah. stuff on the, we're kind of playing the mind games on the, on the employees while they're doing the human centered to help them do human centered yeah. stuff on their, on their um, customers. That's fascinating. So you're do you're like doing the work at kind of that micro level, the interaction space and how people connect and share ideas while guiding the people who are actually doing the work against products right. or, or yeah because i don't i mean i think you have to have a top down and bottoms up approach working in unison yeah. and because if we if you just do bottoms up without any clear strategy and there's no clear direction then you've just got everyone rowing and i mean you might be efficiently rowing but everyone's just going in crazy different directions yeah and then so, um yeah. but if you and if you don't if you just just do the strategy you're not inspiring you're not informed by the boots on the ground yeah so you said you're working with enterprises. Like, who is that? Who Who's coming to you for help? Or who are you knocking on the door and saying that you can help? Yeah, we're, well, we have, we're doing a workshop with Cisco this week. Um, and, you know, we've worked with companies like Adobe, Apple, Nike. Uh, we've worked with Google. 
Um, you know, even some, we've done some work with, uh, um, the air force, which is really incredible. You know, they, they, they had this really fascinating challenge around, um, you know, it's very lucrative to be a pilot for commercial, um, purposes, whether that's FedEx or, you know, a, um, a passenger airline. And so it's really hard for them to retain pilots, um, even if they get them in and train them, they don't necessarily stick around. And so one of their goals was, well, they're, they're trying, this is a complex problem, right? They had to tag it from yeah. a lot of different angles. And the thing we were looking at them, we were working with the pilot next program on a, what are the ways we can um, shorten the time to mastery. And uh, one of the things they were building, which I thought was really incredible was an AI um, flight coach. So it's like this, 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 um, computerized voice that's telling them like, Hey, wait, you didn't, that loop you just did was kind of crappy. Like, here's what you need to do instead. Here, like you should have set, you, sh- you should have set this when the altimeter hit, like whatever. Right. <laughs> and so they're getting yeah. this like, and if you think about from uh, and you guys as product folks might, might appreciate this. I, I know from my software development days that, that that's like reducing your feedback loop is mm-hmm. so critical to, um, to learning rapidly and and being able to adapt, and so that's what they're doing, right? They're 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 shortening that feedback loop because they don't have to mm-hmm. land the plane and then go and talk to like their their instructor. Instead, there's like a computerized instructor telling them right then in the moment, like you should have done this. I would love to unpack before we unpack more of what you're doing on voltage control and like all the things your customers are struggling with and what you do and when you go in. Maybe it'd be helpful for for the audience to hear a little bit about like the rewind, like what's your story? What led you mm. into this type of work in the, in, to, to begin with? Absolutely. You know, I, as I mentioned, I was a software developer. So I think I might be one of the only CTOs that's gone into facilitation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> usually uh, I'm kind of a rare, rare breed, but, but um, uh, I got my start, as I said, writing software in the mid nineties Early in my career, I stumbled upon this realization that, you know, technology for technology's sake serves no one. And the elegant solution that's like easy to fall in love with as a creator of technology um, is is very dangerous. And if we um, we had to really be considerate of the market as well as the design and the user and what is that experience like? and the technology. So I was, you know, my vocabulary has changed over the years. You know, we didn't really have like user experience back then as a term, but I was starting to like clue in on some of the stuff and sure there's been people that um, demonstrated to me how to think about the stuff better, but I was noticing that there was something there that we needed to account for these kind of three domains. And if we didn't, um, then things could go South real quick. And, that awareness shaped my tra- trajectory as a leader and as an engineer and, and as a software professional. And I also started to get really curious about how to help teams collaborate and how to build resilient product teams that are robust and remain curious and stay on the truth path. And, um, and you know, ultimately, though, like you started off with um, extreme programming, if anyone remembers that. And then um, Agile and, you know, the Agile Manifesto came out and I was like, okay, finally someone articulated this stuff in a way that like, I could, like, 
that that explains some of the frustrations that I've been having. And then, you know, and then flash forward all the way to, to lean and then um, design sprints. You know, I think it was one thing that was really pivotal for me was when Google Ventures invested into my startup. And, you know, I had already had my team doing design sprints and we were communicating with Jake through kind of like email and stuff and asking him questions. And then when Google Ventures invested, it, it, it kind of allowed us to turn that pen pal relationship into an in-person relationship. And he got he came and like ran a design sprint with us. And just watching him work just like made me even more curious about like these things I had been doing with teams and him doing that as an outsider with the team. It just started to kind of click for me like, wow, this could be a whole thing. So then when I left um, Twyla to start my voltage control, I just was just voraciously curious about this world of facilitation. And I noticed all these silos. There's so many different disciplines of facilitation. Um, and it was typically tied to some kind of industry or need, right? Like you've got healthcare, mental health, you've got, um, architecture, you've got design, um, industrial design, you've got, um, civil engineering, like all of these different folks had kind of different ways they were solving similar problems. And, and then ultimately these like uh, facilitation disciplines that have come up. So you've got the International Association of Facilitators, which is more kind of business consulting type of facilitation with like flip charts and stuff. You've got design facilitation that's like sim- similar to design sprints where we're kind of like guiding people through um, an explorative process of the double diamond. Um, and then you've got folks that are doing MG Taylor and charrettes in the architectural space. You've got art of gathering, all of these different silos and how they uh, relate and um, and work together is um, is something I got really curious about and how I could help bust the silos. And so that's kind of a big passion for voltage control is like, rather than being tied to one discipline or, or one framework, how can we bring a lot of different perspectives to to the table? And I, I realized my video is frozen, so um, I'm going to see if I can yeah. fix that maybe. There we go. There we go. Got you back. <laughs> Douglas, that's so great. Like hearing your story. I'm so curious, like when you started talking about how you connected with, with Jake and, and Google ventures and you, you kind of got the eye for facilitation, the way you said it, were, did you have a knack for facilitation with what you were doing with your teams already to where, like when you saw what Jake was doing, it was like, yeah, I could do that. Or did Jake, did Jake like blow you away and you go, Oh crap, I'm doing something wrong, but I have a lot to learn. Well, I think it was all of the above, you know, okay. <laughs> I definitely saw areas where I'm like, oh, wow, it's, this is fascinating the way he's thinking about this. And, um, but also, and, and it also wasn't just Jake, it was Braden and John Zaratsky and Jake all there. Okay. And, um, you know, they sent the whole crew down and, um, it, and it wasn't just about how they showed up in the room. It was what they were doing before. Um, in fact, in my new book, Magical Meetings, I, we've got it broken down into before the meeting, during the meeting, and after the meeting. And I think those are really critical to think about. Like, it's not just about how you show up in that moment. It's about how you prepare. It's about the expectations you set. It's also about the follow-up and, and how you reflect and how you bring people together to um, embrace and think about, about where, where new potential lies and what we even accomplished and how we continue to share that narrative. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm going to follow the rabbit hole. You brought up magical meetings. I'm curious to tell me, tell me and then our viewers, like, what is that about? Uh, can they get it yet? Like what's going on with magical meetings? Yeah. Um, so the official, the, so we've, we've, our published dates changed three times, but the book is at the printers right now. So I'm confident it's awesome. not going to change again. <laughs> um, it's going to be um, released on 420, which I'm a big fan of. Um, that's a way to make meetings more magical, maybe depending you on your company culture. Um, but um, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna launch it on 420 as part of um, the spring series with the uh, some, some of the other non-obvious guides that are coming out on the non-obvious press. And this series of non-obvious guides is really fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. In fact, I thought I had, I think I brought it in the other room. Um, cause I was looking up something, but the non-obvious guide to creativity was sitting on my mm. desk, <laughs> but, uh, they're really fantastic. And I, you know, I think they're, um, all just very actionable, really kind of skimmable. You're going to flip through it and just pick out some great advice, not a ton of stories, not, not a literary book by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I yeah. think some business books try to become a bit literary, literary by having like the double helix and having stories and stuff and it stitches together. But, um, they went to the extreme, which is just like, let's distill this down into just like the most actionable stuff you can. And so that's what this, our book is part of that series focused on meetings and really how we can collaborate together and, you know, get better results and, um, and be more intentional about how we meet. Uh, we know one of the, one of the things we uh, talk about is to people should rename meetings, you know, Eskimo, how many words do, do Eskimos have for snow? Right. Because they're inundated with it. They've got a lot of like nuance. Right. But we're inundated with meetings, but we just use the word meeting all the time. So, like, how can we be more creative about like what we throw on our calendars, even if it's just like a a blank creation session? Like, what are we creating? Like, let's just say we're it's a like um, a pitch deck creation session. Okay, cool. Boom. Like, we're really clear on what it is. And we all know because the expectation set in the name. So, yeah. so yeah, that's the magical meetings book coming up on April 20th. And, uh, we, we've been, um, we got magicalmeetings.com, which we have a bunch of free resources associated with the book. I'm starting a new series called magical meeting stories where I'm going to interview people yeah. about magical meetings they're having. Cool. So lots of stuff there to check out. I'm really interested in, you know, um, this, this book is coming out of, my sense is it's coming out of your work with your clients in voltage control and all the stuff you're doing in, in these sessions. Maybe can you unpack for us, like what does life look like for the, when clients come to you, what are they struggling with? Like talk, let's talk about like what's life before voltage control, before mm. you're applying this stuff, what's life look like there. And then talk about some of the ways you're transforming these cultures. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, it varies quite drastically. Everyone's got, and it's like interesting from, from a, you know, from a marketing standpoint, we're often talking internally, like, man, it's really hard to, you can't just go on Facebook and target someone who's in that moment. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's like not, it's, it's maybe partial psychographic. It's definitely not demographic. Mm. It's like they're experiencing this situation where they're like, uh, like I can see this future that we need, but we're not getting there because we're just like constantly hitting a wall or, right. um, or either someone is thinking to themselves like, wow, I have been brought in to do this thing, but I'm going to need some help, external help to like 
spark and create the momentum to make this possible. And so they're generally thinking to themselves, like, I can see the vision, but how do I get this tanker moving? How do I turn the ship around? Yeah. Right. And so we come in and it's, it, it's a spectrum. Sometimes people are like drinking the Kool-Aid already, but they just haven't put in the reps. You know, like you can read all you want about how to ride a bike, but until you get on the bike and ride it, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. so in a lot of ways, we're the training wheels, right? We'll, we'll come in and we'll just like create the stability, stability, the framework for them to like kind of feel it. You know, they feel that wind in the, the air. They, they kind of get a sense for what it's like to hit, yeah. have their feet on the pedals and then boom, it clicks. And then they're off to the races. And, and then typically, you know, that's all happening through a series of workshops. We'll typically um, talk about, well, what is the, what, where are you trying to go? We always want to start with the outcome. I'm um, a real big fan of backwards design and learn and, and, and learning science. So I apply that to everything we do um, because I, I feel like everything's a learning experience <laughs> if you really right. break it down. And so we look at like, well, what, what does success look like? Where do we want to be? What, how are things right now? And so, okay, well, this is the gap we need to, we need to bridge. And so how do we build that bridge? And so we just kind of take one step at a time and look at, like, I think these are the little milestones we need to hit, you know, almost like mile markers on, on, on a journey through um, from, from one town to, to the next. And then we're kind of thinking about each of those milestones being assessment points. So each of those assessment points will tell us, did we get there or not? Because the last thing we want to do is just run workshop after workshop or run, go, run a workshop where we're just activity, 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 and we're just checking boxes. We want to make sure that we're, like, we're getting to where we're going. And if we're not, we can at least stop and course correct versus just blasting through, getting there, and just everyone being disappointed. Yeah. And so we're and at the end of the day, I'd say the most common trend or theme is, you know, we're going to get people in a room or in a Zoom, and we're going to work through some activities that really unlock how they think. We're going to inject some curious, um, some playful curiosity. You know, I think there's not enough play in the corporate world these days yeah. because there's this notion of professionalism. But um, let's be professional, but have some fun because that's what's going to unlock the new ideas. We're How do you break do that down? How do you get people off the the rigid edge? Because that's it. Just resonates with me so much. Like I've been in a room trying to run a workshop of non-Kool-Aid drinkers, and like so yeah. they're like half there. What are some of the tools and tactics and approaches you use to like start to bring playfulness and that curiosity into a workshop setting? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. One is um, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, yeah, I don't the, the, one, one thing to think about, <laughs> one thing to think about is why they're not drinking the Kool-Aid. And I'm really understanding that because if we understand that, then we can design in a way that um, uh, embraces it, confronts it, meets it. So I always say walk into the conflict. Facilitators should always walk into the conflict because if we're just kind of trying to avoid it and pretend like it's there, not there, then we're never going to excite the room, right? Because we're not addressing the one thing that's preventing it, mm. it right? And so, yeah. um, so we really want to understand that root cause. We want to unpack it. We want to kind of explore it maybe as a group, right? Um, that's where some of our upfront work comes in too, like understanding some of the dynamics of the group, what's going to, what's going to potentially light them up. Um, and, you know, I think warm ups and icebreakers can be really powerful. 
but we have to be intentional about them. I always, when I'm teaching facilitation, I always love to say, if you run an icebreaker or any activity and you can't turn to the group and say, why did we do that? And have it erupt into a pithy conversation, then you need to ask yourself, why did we just do that? So if you come into the, um, into the room with an icebreaker and you have an intention of why that's going to be valuable and you unlock them and get them motivated and moving, and then you can unpack that later, then your naysayers are going to be, their light bulbs are going to go off, even if they weren't animated and weren't super involved. Um, And it really depends on, you have to gauge like how many naysayers you have and what's driving their, their, their concerns um, one thing I love to, to start meetings off with is um, hopes and fears or even just intentions. Like what is, why are we here? Cause yeah. sometimes the, 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 the lack of um, engagement or the, the skepticism is coming from a place of concern about something that's not even, it's totally coming from left field. But if we're, if our job as a facilitator is the whole space and truly include everyone, we need to include that viewpoint and we need yeah. to surface it up and talk about it. So I think our job is to understand the discrepancies, understand in, um, conflict and inconsistencies and consistencies that may not be recognized and let's call attention to them and recognize them. Um, and if we can do that linking, it's going to go a long way to improving people's engagement. And sometimes, you know, you, uh, it, it you may, and it's a journey. So the first workshop, you're kind of working on some of this, like, just like ground level, what's going on? Why are people showing up how they're showing up? How can I get people more curious and more excited about the potential? Unlock that stuff. And then we can grow as an organization, but we, we got to understand where they are on the maturity curve and what some yeah. of those forces are. That's, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting a master class right here. Like, it's, it's <laughs> awesome. I like, guess because we do a lot of workshops that are trying to run them on our end. And so really insightful stuff. It looks like we're getting a, a question from uh, some of our audience here around um, what other icebreakers do you recommend? So I don't know if there's a, a go-to place you have or a few off the cuff. Uh, you mentioned yeah. a couple. So some if, nuggets. yeah, I w- for one, one thing really quickly if you, I'll give you the mother load. If you go to voltagecontrol.com slash resources, we have a bunch of resources that can be downloaded. And one of those is our um, uh, facilitation methods and, um, and activities guide. And this PDF, like I was telling, one of my employees uh, suggested that we, we make like a, a, a library, you know, like a system that you can go in and, and we would maintain a library and like, you know, it'd be like the voltage controlled approved methods and all this. And, mm-hmm. and, and ulti- I kind of meditated on that for a long time and couldn't really figure out why I was pushing back on it. And the, the pivoting I came to was like, there's so many of those libraries and stuff out there. But I, and, um, and I was like, I don't know if I just want to make another one because it's like the world is inundated with these things. And so I said, I want to do a roll up. So what I did is I did a blog post that was just like every crate. It was like the encyclopedia of like frameworks and, and, um, and libraries. And, um, and then we, we turned that into a PDF. So that's one of the PDFs on the resources page. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a few. One of, one of my favorites is three to five things. And this is where you can, you can do this in pairs or small groups, or you can do it as a big group. 
if you do it in pairs or small groups, you're just kind of taking turns as the partner. If you do it in a big group, this is just one person's in the hot seat. Okay. And that person, either your partner or the person in the hot seat, is going to um, you're gonna you're, you're instructed to look at them, just check out their environment, just look at them for a second, and then they're gonna turn off their camera. So so essentially, um, my camera turns off, and you know I'm gonna um, I'm gonna change a few things about myself, right? And then I'm gonna come back, and now you have to tell me what I've changed. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I so only noticed like, the shirt. <laughs> yeah, so you guys were already chuckling, right? This is like, this yeah. is fun, you know, and people do, I mean, when there's more time and we're not live and yeah, stuff, yeah. people yeah. can have more fun with it and play with it. So that that's three to five things. That's I, pretty I love cool. that because like there's, you know, we, we talk in our, in, in our product team, product people, it's about, you know, uh, what que- the questions that we're asking lead us to the observations, right? Lead us to the answers. And so we are, we asking the right questions and it teaches. It's like, mm. are we observing for the right things? Right. Yes. I love that. To, to be observant. We talk about the, the questions being the facilitator Swiss army knife. And um, we had another resource on that same page called the facilitators guide to questions. And it's just tons of great questions. Um, but Hey, you, uh, here's another warm up That's really fun. It's yeah. about like acknowledging this weird box that we're in. So like everyone, like, yeah. you know, you guys just like, <laughs> we're in this thing. Right. And it, like, okay. we're tr- So like, imagine that the top of your box is a pull-up bar. Let's just all do chin-ups together. Right. Oh, how strong are you? Can you make it all the way up? Are you struggling? Is it easy? Okay, cool. And then, <laughs> and then, great. you know, there's a lot. And then you can, we can say, all right, like, who would you, um, if you had to like, and trust your bank password with, with someone who in this room would it be? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Where's the guy? Uh, oh, and they so actually the, physically so the, like try and. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is like here, <laughs> here in StreamYard, it, we have a predictable order, right? Because it's laid yeah. out, but in zoom, everyone's like mixed up and you don't know who, where anyone is. So that's this notion of pointing to people on a question that um, you may not want everyone to know the answer to. It's kind of fun because they can't actually tell who you're yeah, giving up something vulnerable, but no one really knows. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Um, nice. Yeah. So there's, um, I don't know, there's, there's tons of cool stuff that you can do. And um, anyway, there's lots, lots of examples there on that, on that. Uh, that on that's guide. awesome. I love that we were able to just do some of those. And, and so we're <laughs> yeah. actually getting into a space that I'm, I'm just super curious about. And so uh, people don't know, I actually connected through Douglas in person. You were setting up sessions at a place called Capital Factory for, mm-hmm. Um, running facilitation in person. And you know, my assumption on your business is that you guys are getting on planes, getting face-to-face with people. What if, what does it look like for you this past year and a half? Like, how are you dealing with this all remote? What you showed us a little bit of what you're doing, but are there other changes be- behind like how the icebreakers and the workshops are actually run now that they're almost all virtual, at least for the time being? Can you talk a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, I mean, 100%. We certainly don't get on planes anymore, you know? Um and we don't order supplies anymore. We've had to lean in really heavily to virtual collaboration techniques. We use Mural pretty heavily, or and if our clients or Miro client um, customers will use them. Um, we've built our own software called Control Room, 
that's actually free. We have a $10 subscription, but only if you want the, some of the premium features, but okay. you can do some cool stuff with it. In fact, one of my favorite liberating structures is called 2510 and we made that free. Um, and, you know, it, it's taken a lot. I've invested in a home office setup where I can stream and have high quality experiences. And, you know, I can do things like give my um, um, users timers so that's a 10 minute timer that's going to elapse for them. Um, I can, um, I can bring my slides up um, in over my shoulder, which I don't have them running right now, but you know, it's like yeah. um, the, all that stuff matters a lot. And I will say this, the, um, even though we don't have to travel, there's still, there's like an equal amount of time spent preparing and organizing for the virtual workshop. So we got to get the murals designed up. We've got to get, we just got to like cross all the dot, um, all the T's dot the I's. We even now have a new role, which is a technical facilitator. Um, Especially if we're dealing with more than like seven, eight people, we're going to have someone there that's like moving the, um, the breakout rooms around because we still do sessions with like hundred plus people where we're, um, we're, we'll break Re- out remotely. Into, like you're in digital yeah, yeah. with a hundred people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll break into separate rooms, separate breakout rooms. And then we'll have facilitators in each one of those rooms where before it would be facilitators at each table. Um, mm. and we even did our conference remote this year. That was really fascinating. Um, and you know, we would have been at capital factory. It's like how okay. we used to do that all the time. And now, now we're kind of in this realm of, everything's virtual, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And we were able to design in some cool experiences for folks, um, even though it was in Zoom. But I think that the trick is not being, uh, I think a lot of folks will go out and look and say, all right, well, here's the conference software, or here's the remote meeting software, or this tool or that tool. And they let the tool um, dictate what they're going to do. And I think, no, you certainly need to learn enough to know kind of the basics of what's possible. So, you know, the edges of limitation, but then step back and throw that stuff away and design an amazing experience and then figure out how you're going to force the tool. Like how do you like distort reality and make that and and create the thing you want to create Um, rather than just saying, all right, well, what does the tool do? I'm just going to do what the tool does. So that's my biggest advice in this remote world is design the experience you want for your uh, participants and then figure out how to make it happen. Um, and I know that's more, that's kind of daunting to think about, like if you haven't explored the tools first, Yeah. but, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I was um, advising some students over at general assembly that were taking the, the their um, design class and their, 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 their end of semester or end of course project was to make a website because a lot of these students are going to go out and become freelancers. And what's the, what's the most common thing they're going to get asked some, some random like bookstore or like Pilates studio needs a website. Right. And so everyone's using Squarespace, which is like, that's pretty obvious choice to you. Right. And they, the thing I know, but one person used Figma, which I found, I, I saw a markedly different situation. Right, because Figma is a design tool. Mm-hmm. Squarespace is a website builder. Yeah, the students that built Squarespace were f- like forced within these constraints of the tool. 
the student that designed it in Figma was, it, it was like anything was possible. They designed for what they wanted to create. And then guess what? They were, they were, they ended up using Squarespace, but then they were forced to figure out how to make what they wanted right? Right. versus figure out like how to yeah. invent something, you just flow in through the tools. So all yeah. the stuff, everyone that designed inside of Squarespace, it just all looked the same because they were just working yeah. through templates, right? Yeah. Whereas the other folks were trying to figure out how to bend the template to their, to their yeah. desires. Start so I love that. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you're going to stick with some of the, the remote stuff you guys are doing in a, uh, if we ever get there, a, a post COVID world where you have the opportunity to jump back on planes? Yeah. Well, just, just to be clear, I, I don't think there's such a thing as post COVID. Um, mm. If you look at the science, I think it's going to be a new um, it's going to be a cousin to the flu. Um, it will be here. Um, we're going to have coping strategies for it, but I don't think the technology to eradicate it is, has been invented yet. And so uh, we're, we're, we're basically going to be taking COVID shots every year um, or may, or at least some, some subset of the population will just to keep the herd immunity down. Um, but that being said, we're all going to be able to travel soon. Um, I think it, it could be as soon as like late summer, but it might be 2022. We'll see um, if these vaccines can keep rolling out. But um, the, the thing is, is people have gotten a taste of what it's like to, to have real remote collaboration. That door is not going to shut. Mm-hmm. Also, people experience this stuff through a pandemic. What happens when this opens back up? And now there's, they've, 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 they've had this awareness of what's possible but now they're not confined in the same way, you right. know, like now I can go to an office that's like near my house and then have a remote collaboration with someone in Hong Kong. Whoa. Okay. Like what's this look like? We don't, you mean we don't have to fly people from five different States in for this thing. And what does that, what does that mean? It's more feasible. That, that's right. And it's, and, and, we're not dealing with the constraints because not everyone wants to work from home, but it doesn't mean that not everyone wants to remote collaborate. And, you know, some people are working from their, their kitchens still, you know, <laughs> like their, their spouse is walking by every now and then. So I'm really like excited about when um, offices come back online, become available, even if it's just a studio or even if it's a WeWork or, you know, Capital Factory has an amazing streaming setup that you can rent as, you know, and um, and I've even thought about what does the voltage control office look like, you know, whenever we get an, an office again. And I, my vision is that we have a, a, a studio that can because all the stuff that I have in my home office has to be pretty locked down because we're pretty space constrained. Yeah. But imagine if this room was twice the size. Right. That means I could probably have two or three people in in the viewport. I could also have stuff on wheels and, you know, it could all be modular and moved around a lot easier than just having to cram it in the corner and bolt it to desks and stuff. Right. And so that's my vision is that we have um, like uh, what people were calling telepresence, you know, 10 years ago, um, but done in a way that really embraces this live streaming remote collaboration stuff that's really unfolding and happening so that we can kind of connect in these different spaces and um, 
that's that's what I'm excited about. I think it's it's really going to come down to hybrid, but we're going to approach hybrid in a totally different way because previously, if someone was remote, they were um, they had a real subpar experience, right? I mean, I don't know if you if you were yeah. ever like home taking care of kids or like like waiting on a package or something, and the all hands meeting was happening, and they're like, you know, they they fire up the polycom and they're like, yeah, just dial in, and you're like. Every every like third word, you're kind of like, yeah. what are you, yep. what's going on? Yeah. And like nothing against Polycom, but like let's face it, like <laughs> if if we're doing a um, th- this is zero confidence system, right? Because you got no no one in that room has any idea what your experience is like, no, right? And that's the only way for hybrid hybrid experiences to work is that we know the quality that the other person's receiving yeah. and that we make sh- that we have direct feedback and a direct um, kind of signal of what their, if their experience is degrading. Yeah. And also because we've reset the norms because of the pandemic, if someone's having a crappy experience, they're going to speak up the, the days of dialing into the all hands and being like, I can't hear anything are yeah. gone because people are going to be like, Hey, you can fix this. I know what's possible. <laughs> Like this ain't right. right. <laughs> so I think the mindset shifted. Shifting into this remote first model, right? Or yes. not a third. You're not going to be the like third wheel, like that's not in the room that can't hear anything that has no idea what's being right. We're going to go to a remote first kind of. That's right. And, and if people know, remember mobile first, you know, like I don't even think anyone says that anymore because now right. we figured out what we're doing. But but when mobile first came out, it was a total disaster. Because everyone, no one was like thinking about, they were trying to cram the mobile designs in later. So then they came, everyone's like, all right, well, let's think mobile first so that then it's a lot easier to expand out in the desktop. And I think, I think, so that analogy you're drawing is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's be, think about remote first because in person's easy. Yeah. I'm, so getting back to like um, your work, you know, when I was reading through some of the, quotes i think on your website uh or even in even even the in your books um some things that came up that, that sparked curiosity for me were people saying you know this will this will change how you view um meetings this will change working with with voltage control will change even even google talking about this will change how you view design sprints and how you apply them to different things i'd love to hear more about that unpack that like what's a story that kind of shows that arc um, mm. of how you're able to transform some of these cultures and in, in more, you know, in a more real way, a visible way for the for people to hear about. Yeah. The, so here's one that I, that that's really cool. And it's a, it's a, it's a local Austin story. So uh, we did a design sprint with favor, like, ah, gosh, was it three years ago now? And um, we were looking at how to reimagine the runner experience. And you can imagine that, at favor the while they care about their runners they take second place to the consumer right it's only natural that if 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 they're trying to deliver an amazing experience to the consumer um the consumer is going to get a lot more attention than the than the runners but they had to build two pieces of software right the runners get software and the, the consumers get software and for any of you listeners that don't know favor favor is like um, Austin's version of DoorDash um, or Grubhub, et cetera. And um, they will, um, they got bought by an amazing grocery store 
here in Austin and Texas called HEB. And because, um, you know, I would say like HEB is, it, it, <laughs> I like to joke around and say there are, there are, um, there are, are disaster prevent, disaster relief social a safety net because of our deregulated government that doesn't really <laughs> care about the citizens. Um, our, our grocery store has to step in and take care of us. So, um, so for those of you outside of Texas, HEB is a big deal. Yeah. So, um, so favor, I was, I was working with them and we did a design sprint. And when I was talking about the riding the bike thing, I think the, 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 for them, that was a real epiphany because they had been reading all the articles. They, they knew that they should be testing. And even the fact that leadership had hired us had sent a signal to the team that this is important. Mm. Right. Cause it's almost like they were afraid to like stop the, the everyday minutia to go do testing or to like change the way they're, they're you know, there's like this, like uh, momentum, this energy that was going to keep them in this kind of flow of doing things. And as soon as leadership said, no, we're doing this, it made them stop and think, right. It took them out of the day to day so they could get really curious. It also, as we, um, we went through the motions of the design sprint, just things were clicking for them. Oh, wow. This is much different reading a book versus actually experiencing it. And then what clicked, what clicked in that session for them? Yeah. You know, I think many things, right. I mean, for one, for one, um, I remember Meg, their designer, and and I'll, I'll kind of bring it back to, to some of the tactical specifics, but I'll tell you this, the outcome was afterwards, she went to PJ, the head of product and said, I want to change my role. Wow. I want to be a full-time researcher now. I want to be 100% dedicated to research. Um, we need it. And he changed her role. So I would say that's very transformative for someone to realize, like, this is so critical to what we do. And we can't just, like, let it be something we think about and think we should do and maybe do every now and then. We need to do it constantly and consistently because yeah. the insights we're going to get are so nuanced that like, we're not, it's not like you can just get the insights and know everything you need to know. It's like, no, it's a constant like observation cycle where we're like constantly asking. And so, um, and I think that once part, part of it as from a tactical point was, was how to run the interviews. So I sat down with Meg and I walked her through the, um, our, our design sprint mod guide, which is on our resources page, um, explicitly how to run the interviews um, I talked to her about, and I gave her some of my favorite questions, which were, you know, instead of saying, you know, we never want yes, no questions. And um, so I've, I've got a few that I've crafted over the years that kind of get the answers to my yes, no questions that I really want to ask, but in a way that's not like multiple choice or, or guiding. So for instance, instead of asking someone, would you use this? Ask them, who do you think this is for? Mm -hmm. If they describe someone completely different than themselves, they would not use it. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I love to ask them, if you were to describe this to your friend or colleague in your own words, what would you say you saw today? Hmm. Because like that that's what's really going to tell you what stuck. If I, if I say what stuck out to you or what impressed you or what was important, all that's kind of leading. But what would you tell a friend about what you saw? That's going to tell you what stuck in their mind, 
And then the language they use and the language they use is really powerful because if they translate a lot of times, like through the interview process, you end up leading them a little bit, you know, because they get really stuck and you have to get them unstuck. And so it's not totally, they're just not totally on their own. Right. And so at some point they have these epiphanies and that's like where the test isn't a um, accurate kind of assessment of the real world. Right. And we're in a simulation. Right. But the thing that's unique about that is once you've kind of drawn them through it and they had that epiphany and said, Oh, I see what you mean. I see what this is. Then get you to tell them what this is. They'll use their words. And most of the time it's not the words you had on your stuff. And then once you do five interviews, if you hear them say the same thing over and over again, and it's not on your stuff, you need to put that on your stuff because that's the <laughs> right. That's how they see the world. And yeah. so if you explain your, your, your product from the perspective of how they see the world, it's going to resonate more. They're going to see it, connect with it. They're going to want it. They're going to be like, you read my mind. Right. And so, yeah. so walking her through some of those things, giving her some of those tips on how to run the interview and then having, I think then she had epiphanies about the runner's experience and they were like, uh, you know, can't talk about that stuff. I mean, cause it's NDA, but like there, she was like literally going, Whoa, they really think this way or they need that. Like, wow. Okay. It makes sense. But I hadn't really thought about it this way. And then the interesting thing is then the design team had this nuanced information where they were like, well, that kind of, that's similar to this thing we're planning on building, but it's more simple. And we had deprioritized it cause it was huge. But now that we know we can build this little simple thing that's going to unlock this all the potential that we thought we needed the big thing for then, you know, it started to change their prioritization. And so, and then of course she was just totally blown away and like, I want to do this all the time because this is amazing gathering these insights and then figuring out how they fit together and and how that might impact prioritization. So she transitioned her role at the company, like pretty much like weeks within weeks of the design sprint. Yeah. That's uh, super insightful. I see Brian and I, are, we love this stuff. Like we're doing customer interviews and that sort of thing. And so I know we're picking up a lot. I have, yeah, I want to be conscious of your time and the time of our audience. If there's any last questions to get Douglas, please enter them into the chat. I have one for you, Douglas, kind of tied to this, you know, for a, a group that's learning to ride the bike with with sort of you as the parent with the hand on their back and on the yeah. part of the, the handlebars to keep them going. And, and when they're ready to take off, you know, those, uh, the training wheels, what have you seen to kind of work well with, okay, this, the teams are doing it to then spread that throughout either other teams or the rest of the organization, mm. either to get more buy-in or to continue to do it when, cause you said something in there of like, it's not just a one-time thing of like, aha, there's the insights we're done. Right. It really has to be this continuous thing. What have you seen work to make sure it's continuous and, and that gets into more of how they share that information. I don't know if that triggers anything. 100%. So there's a lot there. And I'll I'll say, um, because you talked about sharing information and sharing it. That's, that's one thing I want to, I want to maybe come, I want to come back to you because that's, that's important. Um, And I spoke to this a lot and beyond the prototype. Um, But I want to go up a level for a second and get a little meta. So, this is the whole reason that I, I I focus voltage control as a change agency, because so much, I would say like the facility, if you look at facilitation agencies or agencies doing facilitation, 
it's either part of some broader goal for them. So they're like a, they're a, um, a design agency or, or, or a product build agency, and they're doing it as discovery and to, to help onboard the project. So it's project related for the work that company is going to inherit and go do. Then you've got some, some facilitation agencies. And then what those are folks are typically doing are like just one-off workshops. Call me up. You need like phone up a facilitator. I'll come run your meeting. Well, we're not either of those things. Right. And like, I saw this big need to help people on this longer journey to help make sure they experience that transformation, that change. And, um, and so what you're talking about is like something I'm very passionate about, which is we got to identify the, those opportunities and, and um, attack those problems. Right. And so you, you, you already kind of hinted at one tactic, which is the narrative. And that's really important because internal case studies are so critical. External case studies, like I can talk about like how, you know, Google ran design sprints, how Airbnb ran design sprints, but some mid cap, like, like logistics company out of Milwaukee is going to be like, why do I care? That ain't me. I'm not a Silicon Valley startup, right? And even Silicon Valley startups will have copious excuses about why they're not Airbnb or whatever, right? And so having those internal case studies is critical. And so the early workshops need to become those things. And then those need to find their way out in the world. Um, Hmm. Also in magical meetings, I talk about after the prototype um, or after the meeting, and it's similar to what the, the share of the story stuff that we're, we're talking about beyond the prototype, because you have to package it up in some way that can be a shared narrative that we all celebrate. The thing I get more clear on in magical meetings is that ideally you're doing it in the meeting. So um, we've started to end all our workshops with, with a narrative building activity where we bring everyone together and think about who do we need to inform and share out with? What do they need to hear? What, what are they, what is their what is their important um, uh, need or desire? Let's make sure we, we address that. And so you're making sure you take care of everyone's needs that you're going to run into in the organization or even external to the organization. At the same time, you're also getting aligned. We always talk about starting off workshops with alignment and the day one of a design sprint is all about alignment. We also need to double check that we still maintain that alignment and we're also aligned on the outcomes and get really, really clear on it. So at a design sprint, it's pretty action packed. We don't usually have a lot of time to do that at the end of the day on Friday, but we'll do that in the retro. So when we get together to talk about the insights, like the following Monday or Tuesday, we're also talking about, well, what do we feel like accomplished? How do we share that story? That gets baked into a recap, a slide deck, if you will. So it's like after the vacation, you get together around the carousel, you know, and you're looking at the slides, like what is the workshop version of that? Because that's how the internal case study finds its way around the organization. The prototype of a design sprint yeah. is also a powerful mechanism to share that story. You got to make sure that it finds its ways into the halls. Um, I, and that's one of the powers of bringing a diverse set of people together in your workshop because they're going to go out into the world, into their um, into their departments, and um, they're going to be advocates for what you did and what you accomplished. And so arming them with a great way to tell the story is going to make sure you're consistent because if they're all telling different things, the organization is going to be like, what's going on here? Like this doesn't make these people know what they're doing. I'm hearing different things. 
Yeah. And then also, if they're not prepared, they're probably going to go to a sense of like emotion, like it was fun, exciting, whatever. But like taking the time to articulate it will be consistent. It'll be, we'll say the right thing. It'll be robust. Um, so that's really critical. Also, we need to make sure that we're looking at that ultimate goal, right? And are we still heading to that ultimate goal? And who do we need to bring in to get there? So do we need to broaden the inner circle is how I like to refer to it or identify other um, stakeholders, other catalysts or other um, superconductors, we like to call them. <laughs> and how do we ignite them? So sometimes we might do a series of workshops focused on very specific challenges or problems so that people can start to learn the tools and the behaviors but they're doing it from the context of solving some like project level or team level issue. And then we'll come in with a, um, with a capstone that's more training, more reflective. Mm -hmm. We're look, we're sharing out those case studies with a real broad group. We're also like getting reflective. We're asking questions. We're teaching techniques. And then we follow that up with coaching so that those folks that already have been through the, 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 the work can sign up for office hours and um, bring up questions and things they run into because it doesn't matter how much work we do in the moment. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be equipped to understand how to deal with this thing that pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. So like, look what I ran into today. And so um, having that time to reserved where we can be there to answer those questions. And then they go, Oh, I, I see what you mean. Now I can go address that. So that's generally our strategy is like, yeah. and, the, and the coaching is really in that sustaining piece. And we'll, we'll and then some clients will do like a quarterly um, workshop. That's a, that's a kind of more um, kind of future planning strategy kind of forward kind of stuff, just because even though they're running a lot of stuff on their own at that point where they, cause they picked up some facilitation skills and stuff. Something about bringing us in just to add an actual jolt. And also we're constantly, yeah like um, refining our techniques and stuff. And so we can bring new content to them once a quarter too. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's the kind of the cyclical process. Yeah. A lot of no. that stuff was, is what you meant by the word meta, right? Like you just yeah. described going meta internally, how to apply, yeah. how to run right. experiments, how to get buy-in internally, not just external customers. That's right. And you don't, cause you want to focus. I think the thing is, is like, People struggle because they go either one direction or the other. They either go super tactical or strategical. They're they're focused on the the doing, the thinking or the doing. And then some people and then some people focus too much on the training, the concepts, the meta, the like you know, the the the, the techniques. Uh, we're big believers that you got to fuse the two. Let's get yeah. hands on on a project either at the tactical or the strategic level. Let's either do some real solid thinking as leaders or do some real solid do, doing as like, you know, the, the, the um, implementers. Um, but then we've got to weave in training alongside that or kind of in tandem. Absolutely. That's really insightful, Douglas. It resonates. I love that you guys are taking that multi-threaded approach uh, and you probably have to with the, the larger enterprises as well. Uh, well, Douglas, we're, we're over. Thank you so much for, for your time and, and sharing your expertise and experience in this stuff. I know Ryan and I got a lot out of it. So thank you. Really appreciate it. I uh, hope the audience enjoyed. Uh, so again, for those um, looking for more tips, you know, facilitation, checking out some of Douglas's books as well. Check out Voltage Control, Beyond the Prototype and Magical Meetings. And then Orion, we got coming up next month, uh, another session, right? Yeah. Um, 
Douglas, thank you so much for today. I mean, your, 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 your book coming up. I just want to mention that magical meetings, where can people find that and find more about, find more about you before we, before we ditch in, in and do the, the next one quick. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, VoltageControl.com. I think you shared a link over to our resources page. We got a lot of blog posts there and then there's a link to the books page too. And then magicalmeetings.com is um, a, a, a site that's all dedicated to resources. So we've got an online class, we've got a live in-person workshop and tons of blog posts and even a series on magical meeting stories where I, where I share cool meetings that people have designed. So lots of stuff there for free that people can check out. Very cool. That's awesome. Douglas. All right. Thanks for joining everybody. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next month. Thanks again, Douglas. Thanks, Douglas. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this episode gave you some fresh perspectives and even some inspiration to help you on your product journey. You can access notes, links, and resources from this episode at exploringproduct.com. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with us on Twitter so that we can chat about it together. Until next time, keep exploring.